Hi, I'm Jordan. And I'm Kit. Welcome to Starry Time, where stars plus lines equal stories. On this month's podcast, we are going to be visiting a Sagittarius, the archer of the night sky. Sagittarius is one of the 88 IAU recognized constellations and one of Ptolemy's great <laughs> 48 constellations identified in his second century book, The Almagest. Often represented as a centaur, which is a half human, half horse mythological creature that you may be familiar with. Sagittarius is drawing a bow and arrow and isn't actually the only centaur in the night sky. But we'll be saving Centaurus for another day. Spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah, so Sagittarius is the 15th largest constellation in the night sky at 867 square degrees, and it's the fifth largest zodiac constellation after Virgo. Viva Jean of Arc! <laughs> and it comes after Aquarius. Ganymede, the god killer! <laughs> after Leo. Can't wait to be king! <laughs> and Pisces. Fish. Pretty much just fish. <laughs> this is a really is a perfect summary of our prior episodes. <laughs> Thank you. As we reach the end of the zodiac, it's time to start doing our run throughs and our rundowns. <laughs> So Sagittarius is a relatively large constellation, but the actual constellation itself is predominantly seen below the ecliptic. But the area of the constellation, like all zodiac constellations, crosses this ecliptic plane. So I know this is supposed to be a centaur with a bow, but I'm not going to lie. When I look at it, that seems quite ambitious. (laughs) But what about you? Did you see it? What were your first impressions of this constellation? Well, when I googled the constellation before looking at the IAU one, my first response was just like a straight up 10th doctor like, what? 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 (laughs) I was like, what's happening here? And then I was like, okay, take a deep breath. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to look at the IAU constellations drawing. Surely this must be more cohesive. I'm like... All the other constellations we've talked about so far, the IAU drawing had two parts, a larger part and then a smaller but disconnected part. And I was just completely mystified. I honestly, I didn't know what to make of it. And so I was kind of like looking for other pictures and then I came across somebody describing one of the parts as a a teapot. Yes, and apparently this is an asterism of Sagittarius called the teapot teapot mm-hmm. and um so yeah my first impressions were just confusion then the tea kettle i said okay so we have a tea kettle and maybe the other parts a little sugar spoon mm-hmm. um but really like some of the other drawings looked sort of like a distorted human shape with a bow but 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 i honestly i i really did not get much from this how about you what did you what did you see did you get centaur with a bow or what my end takeaway, uh, no, was not the centaur with a bow, uh, nor was it the tea in the tea kettle. Um, my main takeaway was either something like, uh, well, my first thought was Mr. DNA from oh, Jurassic great. Park. Yeah, Just like, it's not a double helix, though. No. It's not. It's just like a very strange cladogram or centipede <laughs> or like, just like great. some sort of like line with all sorts of lines coming out of it. Lots of little um, legs. 
Yep, and then when I look at the whole constellation as revealed in other pictures, then it kind of just looks like strange virus creature mm. to me, yeah. you know. It looks dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> and that was that was my takeaway. Somewhere between virus, millipede, and uh, whatever I started with there. <laughs> Mr. DNA. Mr. Uh, DNA. How could you sure. forget? <laughs> So, I don't know. I don't know that our descriptions are very helpful. So, you can find Sagittarius by looking for Antares. Which is, of course, the heart of the scorpion, as we discussed last episode. Yep, and so you can follow the pathway from um, Antares towards the, and this is an air quote, bow of Sagittarius. (laughs) Or, more technically. We do love to be technical. Well, technically, Sagittarius has a right extension of 19 hours and a declination of negative 25 degrees. And like Scorpius, one of its neighboring constellations, it's easier to see in the southern hemisphere. But you can technically, again, see it in both hemispheres between 55 degrees and negative 90 degrees. Perfect. We now know when and where to find Sagittarius. Now let's get into a little bit of star talk. Sagittarius includes 17 named stars, and there are actually a number of very bright stars. But what's the brightest star, Jordan? Well, if you recall last month, we got to do a slow applause for Bayer, because he did a great job with Scorpius. Mm -hmm. And I only bring that up to contrast to this month's episode, Mm. where he did, well... Let's just say less a good of a job with Sagittarius. <laughs> so Alpha Sagittarii surely isn't the brightest. Well, no. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's Alpha. And in fact, neither is it Beta nor Gamma. Delta? Uh, if only. <laughs> it is, in fact, Epsilon. Oh, fair. Oh, no. <laughs> So, is Epsilon Sagittarii really dim? Like, why, how did he get this so wrong? Well, Epsilon Sagittarii does have an apparent magnitude of positive 1.85, so it's somewhere in the middle there. Yeah, it's brighter than the brightest star in Capricornus, but it's not, it's not especially bright. It's no Anatares or anything like that. So again, perhaps Bayer was having a rough month, you know, <laughs> had a lot going on, some of his stellar observations weren't as rigorous as they could have been. Epsilon Sagittarii is also known by the name Caus Australis, which is a hodgepodge of an Arabic word meaning bow and a Latin word meaning southern. So if you throw them together, it approximates the meaning of something close to the southern bow. Oh, and that makes sense since it's more seen in the southern hemisphere. So it makes sense that they'd have that like southern bow association. Sure. So, it's a binary star system with an apparent magnitude of positive 1.85. It's about 143 light years from the sun. The main star is a blue-white giant, and its companion is a main sequence star. The main star is about uh, seven or so times the radius of the sun. And it's part of that tea kettle asterism we've been hinting at so far this episode. Probably the most interesting fact about this star is that it's spinning pretty, pretty, pretty fast. It has an estimated rotational velocity of 236 kilometers or 146 
0.6 miles per second. Oh my gosh. So that's that's really fast. So I yeah, I want to just like unpack this for for like comparison sake. So rotational velocity is the speed at which an object is moving around its axis. And this can of course vary um, based on the latitude. But the at the equator of our sun, uh, the equator of our our home star, um, it has a rotational velocity of 1.9 kilometers per second. <laughs> So we're talking here almost a hundred times faster. Yeah, and here on no, Earth, no more than a hundred times yeah. faster. And um, here on Earth, the rotational velocity of Earth is 0.46 kilometers per second. Epsilon Sagittarii is our brightest star in this constellation. Let's get to our next and newish segment: Bayer's Variable Star. Yes, so in this brief segment, we follow the Greek alphabet to learn more about the stars that our guy, Johann Bayer, designated in the sky. So last month we talked about Beta Scorpii, and this month we're going to check out Gamma Sagittarii. Alright, let's go. What's the deal with Gamma Sagittarii? So here's the thing. There's technically two different stars that have the name Gamma Sagittarii. Okay, perfect. That makes sense. Uh, so it's like a binary system. No... No, oh. it it's just it just seems to be two stars that look close together, and they are about a degree away from each other based on our view here on Earth. So, hmm. oh, I, hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, not they're struggling a bit with um, Sagittarius, but um, Gamma One Sagittarii is also known as W Sagittarii. Surely. Uh, right. So W um, is from another star designation schema, and this one is specifically for variable stars. Which are ones that vary in brightness, correct? Exactly. And the type of star that makes um, the segment name for this segment very clever. Very, very clever. So this variable star system, uh, like Bayer's system, has a... Uh, a letter followed by the Latin genitive of the constellation. So usually stars with bear, with bear designations aren't given these other designations, but for some reason this one does. In this variable star designation system, they start with the letters R and they go to Z. Well, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> start with R. Okay. Um, I guess they chose it because they didn't want it to get confused with spectral types or Latin letters that are sometimes used with bear designations. Um, so it's a little confusing. Oh, well, I'm not confused at all. I think they <laughs> well, made the right choice here. Makes well, perfect sense. Classic well, R to Z alphabet. Well, it gets even more confusing because once you get to Z, it changes and then you go RR to RZ and then, you know, SR to SZ and, um, and so on. And then the, it just gets more confusing and silly. But once you reach 335 combinations of letters, then you start naming them V335. Mm. And basically what mm. they're doing is anytime a variable star is discovered in a constellation, it gets a letter. So W Sagittarii here just means it's the sixth variable star detected in Sagittarius. Well, most importantly, they've come up with a perfect system that avoids confusion entirely. No, Great. no doubt. Ex excellent work. And RRRZ does not at all make me think of R2D2 or other Star Wars uh, sidekicks. Yes. 
So W Sagittarii or Gamma 1 Sagittarii is a multiple star system with um, optical pairs and a triple star system. But what's really interesting about this, one of the stars in the the system is that it's a Cepheid variable star, Mm. which are basically massive stars that are hot with luminosity that changes in a period of one to zero days. Um, They differ from other variable stars in that like they're pulsating. So the diameters of them shrink and grow, shrink and grow. Mm. So the... The star in Sagittarius, that's one of these variable stars, has a pulsation period of 7.5 days, and it varies between an apparent magnitude of 4.3 and 5.1. Wow. Okay. So these are stars that are like big and hot and pulsating. I got it. Yeah. Another fun fact is that Henrietta Swan-Levitt, who... Shout out. Yep, we got to do an asterism at some point. Um, she was instrumental in identifying the connection between luminosity and pulsation period, which is um, a defining characteristic of this kind of variable stars, even though they are technically credited to John Goodrick in 1784. They're named, so Cepheid, they're named after the constellation which they were found in, which is Cepheus. All right, so that's Gamma 1 Sagittarii. What's Gamma 2? So Gamma 2 Sagittarii has the name Al-Nasi, which is derived from an Arabic phrase meaning arrowhead. Mm -hmm. It has an apparent magnitude of 2.48. It's about 97 light years from the sun. And honestly, it's basically just like a normal K-type orange star. Mm. Um, On one website um, from Dr. Uh, Kaler, he refers to it just as an almost too ordinary orange class K giant. The most notable feature is that it's almost too normal. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yes, yes. Um, And that'll do it for our variable star segment. So I think we should take a quick break, and then we can hear uh, what you selected for your gold star this month. Welcome back. This segment is called Gold Star. In this segment, we alternate picking the star or space object in our constellation of the month that captures our mind, our heart, our soul. And this month, Jordan got to pick the gold star. So where did you go? So, Kit, Sagittarius has some interesting deep space objects and some well-known and photogenic nebulas, such as the Lagoon Nebula and the Trifid Nebula. It also has a beautiful globular cluster called NGC 6544 that has been wonderfully imaged by the Hubble Space Telescope. But honestly, I'm going to throw you back to your call in episode 5, Taurus. In that episode, we had a very brief shout out to a new picture of this object. Mm. And you said you'd pick it for your gold star in this very episode. But since it's my turn, Kit, I'm going to have to pick it instead. Woo, black hole, let's go, let's go, let's go, black holes, let's go. (laughs) Kit, if you've taught me anything in this year of recording together, it's that the pro-black hole point of view is the way to go. So if you don't know, today we're going to talk about Sagittarius A-star. This is a supermassive black hole that's dead at the center of our home galaxy here, the Milky Way. 
And let's talk briefly about the name, because it is pronounced Sagittarius A-star. But that star is actually an asterisk. Basically, back in 1954, a team of researchers in Ohio were looking at radio waves in various constellations. They assigned letters based on how powerful the radio signal was by the constellation. Thus, Sagittarius A. But the asterisk was a special addition to note the finding as exciting. It, I mean, it's, it's nice that they didn't start with R. So A, definitely like the, the strongest radio signal. But I wonder how big that asterisk was on the paper. Like, I, I'm imagining it like circled and like highlighted and like many, many stars. Well, current estimates put the mass of this black hole at 4.3 million times that of our sun. Mm. So, not the largest black hole that we've discussed so far in Starry Time, which would be OJ-287, which won your gold star in episode 7, Cancer. We all remember. Mm-hmm. Which is, uh, I'm not sure, uh, what, like, billion, several billion times the mass of the sun? Right, so remember that was a, a set of binary black holes. The larger black hole was 18 billion times the mass of the sun, and the smaller one was 150 million times the mass of our sun. No matter, Sagittarius A-star is our supermassive black hole. It's the one that makes up the center of our galaxy. Hmm? It has a diameter of 15.6 million miles, and the center of our galaxy 26,000 light years away. Back in May of 2022, astronomers showed us the very first picture of the black hole at the center of our galaxy using the Event Horizon Telescope. There's a ton more we could talk about with Sagittarius A-star, like the stars that orbit the black hole at very high speed, or it's running with a giant gas cloud. But let's just say this is one of the easiest wins so far for Gold Star, and Sagittarius A-star could never be anyone else but you. Always honored to bring a new black hole into our Gold Star of the Month Club. Great choice, great throwback. Uh, Welcome to Sagittarius A-Star. Welcome back. We've talked astronomy with our segment's cosmic background, brightest star... Bayer's variable star, and of course, gold star. So let's get to the myths of Sagittarius. What do you remember about this myth, Kit? I knew it was a centaur archer. Well, you did better than me. I didn't remember that it was a centaur at all. I was lucky enough to just get to archer. Mm -hmm. Well, as we discussed at the beginning of the show, this Sagittarius isn't the only centaur in the sky. And given how vague some of these myths can be, it's probably no surprise that there is, again, some ambiguity in the Greco-Roman myth as to who exactly this particular centaur is. Classic. Well, less commonly, Sagittarius is assumed to be Chiron, who is maybe the most famous centaur in all of myths. Yeah, mentors lots of heroes like Achilles and Jason of the Argonauts, very, very popular in myth. 
But Chiron is usually associated with the myth of Centaurus, which is the other centaur constellation. Mm. So I think it's best if we hold off on the myth of Chiron until we get that far. Yep, just like we did with Virgo and Libra and the Astraea myth. So who is Sagittarius associated with? Well, this is where it gets a little bit weird. Because the primary myth is actually about a character called Crotus, who is not a centaur, but in fact a satyr. Right, half human, half goat. Correct. And centaurs are half human, half horse. Correct. So, is a transformation myth? Well, spoiler, no. <laughs> Crotus is the son of Pan, who we discussed in Capricornus, and Euphemy, who is a nymph who tended to the Greek muses. Perhaps unsurprisingly, Crotus grew up living with the muses, who are the nine goddesses of inspiration and arts. They even have a muse for astronomy, Urania, so shout out to her. But the Greeks knew what was up. So basically, Crotus lives with the muses, and it turns out he's either really good at archery, or perhaps even invented archery. And get ready for this, he frequently practiced archery on horseback. Okay, so the half-goat, half-man is riding a horse, is what you're telling me. Oh, that's right, kid. <laughs> okay. So, Crotus is... I think it seems adept and skilled. Okay. So, Crotus is the inventor of the bow, and some sources, this is great, also credit him <laughs> with the invention of rhythmic beats in music, and uh-huh. associatedly with, with, with clapping. <laughs> just, just clapping. Just clapping okay wow so these great feats get him into the night sky or is there something else going on in this story well kid he is actually in fact mortal even though his parents are a nymph and a god anyways when he dies he gets into the night sky because he was beloved by the muses who asked their father to put him in the night sky for just being like a totally solid dude i guess okay so just like in memoriam fine but but sagittarius is a centaur and not a satyr because uh... well kit that's a great question one source i read suggested that this because the constellation is more of an amalgamation Mm. that's supposed to symbolize the attributes of this character So the horse is there to represent his horseback riding skills. The bow is there for obvious reasons. And in some iconography, he even has the tail of a satyr. Right. And that's the entire story. Uh, Well, I guess this kind of makes sense to me as being vague because Sagittarius, like many of the Zodiac constellations, is adopted or assimilated from Babylonian and Sumerian culture and mythology. And so in ancient Babylonian astronomy, Sagittarius is 
is also sort of an amalgamation. Um, it has uh, wings and a human and dog head and the body of a horse still, but a scorpion's tail. And in the book that I've mentioned on this pod before, Babylonian Star Lore, Gavin White notes that the iconography has actually changed considerably mm-hmm. um, in the sort of Babylonian Star Lore over time. The figure is said to be Pabalsag, which is roughly translated into chief ancestor or forefather. Whoa, okay. So who is Pabalsag? So Pabalsag is a god worshipped as early as the third millennium BCE, so that's about 5,000 years. And he's kind of an ambiguous figure. He's associated with Ninutura, which was another god that was worshipped. But his biggest claim to fame seems to be that he was married to a goddess of medicine, Ninisina. So that's like, yeah, that's like his, that's his thing. It's like he's married to her. Um, Mm -hmm. Gavin White also notes that this constellation is among other Babylonian constellations that had to do with death and in part because of its nearness to the Milky Way, which also was somehow associated with death and the afterlife in these cultures. Pavel Sog is also thought of as the guardian of those who have died. So it seems like we don't have too much in terms of a specific myth here, Mm -hmm. but we have a forefather, we have iconography, we have a bunch of signifiers. Yeah, and I didn't really get much about why the conglomeration of these specific animals, but... It's also the case that in Sumerian mythology, this constellation is associated with another god called Nergal. And Nergal, kind of like Pabasag, is associated with death and is a god of war and disease. Tough hang. Yeah. Don't think I'll be inviting Nergal over anytime soon. Yeah. And Nergal is also depicted as being like part lion and part human or having a second head. Yeah, having a second head that's a panther, um, mm-hmm. wings, but again, no no real specific myth about how or why he's in the sky here. I gotta give the Sumerians credit, though. Some of their gods and forefather figures, they're just like, what's the coolest thing we could put together? And <laughs> threw it all against the wall, and everything stuck. I mean, part lion, part human, panther, wings, anything <laughs> What is more possible. could you need? <laughs> yeah. All right, Kit, the myths are... As we said here, a little thin this month. Mm. But it seems like another case of where it might be because the Greeks, again, are trying to assimilate and reconstruct knowledge and mythology and make it fit within their existent pantheon. Right. This idea that myth is there to have a particular purpose, to align with the norms and beliefs of the culture at that time. And so clearly, right, they're not going to tell a story about Pabalsag or Nergal because those figures aren't meaningful. (laughs) So... They don't really have a god that fits, so they just kind of get this vague story that doesn't really say too much. And if we stretch it, we can kind of say that Crotus does have some themes, you know, about honoring and remembering the dead and the importance Mm -hmm. of uh, the muses Mm -hmm. and trying to become, you know, more refined and gentle and kind than the rowdy and lusty and wild and polite creatures that we often envision satyrs as well as centaurs yeah i think that's a good point and i think uh we can also take it in another direction we can start thinking about centaurs and satyrs from a certain perspective as these like mashup hybrid creatures Mm -hmm. and where do they come from and why are they so present in so much uh, mythology and i did read probably the most interesting thing i read specific to centaurs was that 
maybe this myth originated um, in areas that they didn't really have horses. Mm -hmm. And so the first time these folks see people on horseback, they are like, what? (laughs) Yeah, they're like, are they, they're the same creature. They're connected. Right. That definitely makes sense to me, right? So if you've never encountered horses before and you see someone riding horseback, you don't know where the person ends and the horse Mm -hmm. begins and they get this reputation these outsiders of course for being scary and wild and they're not probably speaking the same language as the greeks or the people they're encountering so it makes sense that a creature like a centaur would arise from someone's first contact with this type of civilization and this type of warfare totally there's another theory about centaurs that it's related to some kind of like ancient cult or fraternal order that used a horse as part of their totem, but I didn't really see as much about that. So yeah, I, I kind of like this idea of it coming out of these experiences with something new and trying to make sense of something unfamiliar. Yeah, which brings us to these other hybrid gods. Mm-hmm. In some cultures like ancient Egypt, animals were divine and these special creatures were unknowable, but assumed to be, of course, just as intelligent and perhaps even understanding things that were even beyond our ability to understand. And in ancient Babylonia, some animals are divine, others are evil, and others are just kind of normal. But animals in both of these cultures are also symbolically important. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like a cheat sheet where it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, lions, powerful, scary, like Mm -hmm. birds, smart. And so um, I wonder to some extent if these merging hybrid nature of these gods is really not only to distinguish them from one another, but also distinguishing them from humans and to identifying them, but also to demonstrate to some extent their otherness. Like, mm-hmm. it's fine for Pablo Sog to shepherd dead souls because he's not like us, not a human, part animal, part something else different from us. And so I wonder if that, that iconography is both an identifying feature to help make it, you know, make them recognizable and to remind people what they're for, but also... Um, to serve as distancing in some way. To so, other yeah. Them, yeah. Agreed. For now, let's take a quick break and see what we can do to add a little bit more depth to the myth of Sagittarius. In this segment, we reimagine, reboot, and revise the myths of our constellation of the month in order to modernize, subverse, or deepen this story. Sometimes we just are doing our best to make the myth a little bit less cringy. Mm. So how did you reimagine this one, Kit? So there's a lot of room to reimagine since mm-hmm. the myth <laughs> does not have much going on. So I'm just going to totally revamp it. Um, yep. Sort of forget Crotus. Crotus will come in a little bit, but not much. Mm-hmm. The Babylonian and Sumerian gods are out. Um, so Sagittarius is now a centauride, which is a lady centaur. Which are not often okay, seen. Yeah. Centauride. Yeah, centauride. Um, un- less commonly, but sometimes you'll see centauresses, but uh, mm-hmm. but not always. So they're they're seen less often in mythology, and I'm going to explain why. So um, our centauride, her name is Sagittaria, which is mm-hmm. incidentally a genus of aquatic plants. Yeah. So when Sagittaria was a teen, she invented the bow and arrow, and her idea was stolen by Crotus, who passed it off as his own. 
Her family didn't believe her. They said they were she was making up that she had invented it. And she frankly decided she didn't want to stay among people who were telling her she was a liar. Mm-hmm. But if we're being really honest, you know, she just never really fit in with her family. Um, she It was just the final straw that they didn't believe her. And so she set out to explore the world, which her people believed were too dangerous for centaurides, which is why so few were seen. Along the way, on her own, she rescued people in need and ended up finding a family among some of the folks that she rescued. These people became the Amazon warriors of Greco-Roman oh. religion. Mm-hmm. And Sagittaria taught them how to tame and ride horses, as well as to create and use her invention, the bow and arrow. After her death, the Amazons commemorated her in the night sky with the constellation Sagittaria, which was later renamed and co-opted by the mainstream Greco-Roman religion to become Sagittarius and associated with Crotus. And that is my Rhett constellation. I like that you've given the Amazon warriors a patroness Mm -hmm. who will be, you know, their founder. So I think this is a, a really wonderful way of tying it together into a new mythology and giving it a real distinct place and purpose. Thank you. So how about you? Where did you go with Sagittarius myth, Jordan? What you got? When I was thinking about Sagittarius and Crotus, it reminded me of someone we haven't talked about in a little while. And that was our good friend, Precus. (sighs) So we started out this podcast with our very lonely, sad Mm. dad, Hybrid, half-human, half-seagoat. Mm-hmm. And now we end, ostensibly, the Zodiac with another half-human, half-goat creature mm-hmm. who I think seems quite lonely and perhaps mm-hmm. feeling very different from his peers. Crotus, of course, beloved by the muses, doesn't really seem to have a lot of other friends. Mm-hmm. So I like to think, as my rec constellation, I would like to pitch something close to one of those type mm-hmm. of old person buddy comedy mm-hmm. detective stories. Oh my gosh. I think it would really strengthen them both to give a myth that ties them together. And of course, when we think of things like only murders in the building, old people solving mysteries with the help of maybe a younger person, perhaps here mm-hmm. could be... Astrea. I think this is a real trope that's missing in Greco-Roman mythology. And of course, mm-hmm. we have plenty of murders mm. which uh, could be investigated. So my retcon is, yes, basically this hybrid seagoat, centaur slash satyr. I don't even care. But anyways, they're just very old and cute and befuddled. And no one really makes a big deal of the fact that they're hybrids. You know, they just go about and do their business. And the way we'll tell their story is that, you know, they're beloved for their sophistication in Crotus's case. Or maybe their, you know, grumpy stubbornness in Precus's mm. case. And they work together to solve the myriad of crimes that we see throughout Greco-Roman history. 
This is great. Um, I love the idea of like tying these two myths together, not only because, you know, it's like a cohesive uh, narrative for our podcast first season, but also like I love this idea of these like, you know, hybrid creatures that are coming together. One may be like a younger one, one may be an older one, and just like, yeah, that uh, that dynamic grumpy, would be. Yeah. Kind of world weary outcasts. Right. That work together to solve mysteries and make pithy commentary. Which I think, if you're beloved by the muses, is Mm -hmm. in your toolbox. Totally. And Precus, we know, loves reading and talking, you know. He does. And his kids love abandoning him. So it's not like he has anyone else. I think this sounds great. Um, I like the idea of tying them together. And I think, yeah, ultimately, both of our reconciliations are better than the original story, which was essentially um, very sparse. So, yeah, I love it. I think they're both they're both great. And and yeah, I'm I think... proud of us. We built lived in worlds for yes. this very, you know, abstract character. Alright, Kit. Time to wrap things up by getting a little less serious and a lot sillier in our final segment. Perhaps my favorite segment. Mm. Pop culture superstars. In this segment, we share our favorite and least favorite occurrences of this month's constellation in pop culture. And then we wish upon a star for what we think should exist. Awesome. Should we start with favorites? Do you want to go first, Jordan? All right, Kit. I am happy to start with my favorite pop Mm -hmm. culture appearance of Sagittarius this month. Great. And first of all, I'm going to be taking a very lenient definition of pop culture. (laughs) Okay. But my favorite, and I don't know if you saw this as well, was something known as Sagittarius Serpentarius. (laughs) Are you familiar with this? Yes, and it won my least favorite, so please go on. Phenomenal. (laughs) So, yes. Finally, by the end of the Zodiac, we've reached a real disconnect in the things we love and the things we fear slash hate. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Sagittarius Serpentarius, for those Uh who don't know, is the scientific name of the secretary bird. Mm -hmm. And I would suggest everyone... Google an image mm-hmm. of this animal, which you can just, I think a pretty good description is perhaps an eagle with ostrich legs or small ostrich legs. It maybe crane like mm-hmm. re- legs, legs mm-hmm. of a crane. A red, it can get up to about five feet tall, Mm-mm. which is too big. So the secretary bird. Uh, is probably the closest we have now to what we imagine Mm. a Mm. raptor of Mm. the Cretaceous period could be. The feet are used for killing prey, especially for pinning prey to the ground. And this is a bird that's endemic, or it lives mostly in Africa, in Mm -hmm. grasslands and savanna. And it was first described in 1779, I walk by one in the museum in Mm. our bird hall, which when I tell people about, 
I say, if you don't like birds, hopefully you have a friend who can cover your eyes. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> while I say that, I think of you and of what yeah. I would have to do to uh, get you through the bird hall. Oh, I gosh, know this, uh, yeah. Is, it's not for everyone. No. Nope. Um, but it is necessary to get to see other exhibits <laughs> in, in our museum. So, yeah. The Sagittarius Serpentarius, I did not know it was the scientific name. It was already one of my favorite birds as a terrestrial (laughs) bird of prey. It gives me real compy, Mm -hmm. raptor, dinosaur vibes. Yes. Um, And it's extremely close to my heart. So... (laughs) Yes. So I, I'm, I'm rather conflicted because indeed when you look at a picture of this bird, the first thing you think because of like its plume and stuff, it's like this looks like a raptor. Mm. Um, and I am pro-dinosaur. That mm. is true. And indeed, there are some Al Horford eyelashes happening um, in the, with this bird. Um, I, you know, I also appreciate that it's like kind of a, a hybrid, like it definitely looks like two animal, two different birds got mashed together, as you described. Yes. But any bird that's bigger than four feet tall is going to be a no from me. <laughs> uh, just too, hard no. Just pass. Um, yeah. And I too... love that about you. Consistent. <laughs> Our whole life. Too big, too scary, terrifying. Um, those of you who have never seen us in real life, we're quite small ladies. So um, a four foot or five foot tall bird is is too big. And um, listen, a bop told me not to be fearful because they're, they eat insects. And uh, he was also they? like, apparently well but do but do they eat children i don't know um and i i did see that they're endangered and so you know on the one hand i want to wish them the best i hope they persevere but indeed i am quite uh, quite afraid of them great this, this episode is really tying everything together it's really coming together this is the first time my uh our favorite yes. least favorite has conjoined yeah yes first yes time. all right kit so you made it quite clear what your least favorite is. Mm. Could you let us know what your favorite pop culture appearance of Sagittarius was this month? So I was, I really struggled to find something. There's not a lot Sagittarius branded. Um, and I almost had to fall back into my uh, Stargate mm-hmm. choice. Um, a great callback too. Yep, it is in position 12 on the Stargate. But I, I just so we all know. Um, yeah. As we all have memorized. Um, so I ended up, though, finding a song called Sagittarius by Moonlight. It mm-hmm. is the final song on the 2016 self-titled album The Olympians. And Whoa. I had never heard of this band, but nope. the entire album has mythology and space-themed tracks, including Sirens of Jupiter, Apollo's Whoa. Mood, Europa in the Bowl, Mars... Neptune. Wait, um, Europa in the bowl? And the bowl. <laughs> and the bowl. <laughs> okay. And good. the bowl. And Well that makes more sense. Right. And you know I love a good themed experience. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the track itself, Sagittarius by Moonlight, is instrumental. It's got horns and a good bass line. The entire um, album, I believe, is instrumental. Um, and it's definitely in that soul with some funk going on. It's very good working music vibes. I actually was listening to the album while I was doing some writing earlier today. And I never heard of it, and I really enjoyed it. So that that was it. Sagittarius by Moonlight by the Olympians on their 2016 self-titled album what a find yeah so we already know what my least favorite was what was your least favorite uh, appearance of Sagittarius well mine is also music related okay which was Sagittarius the band did you encounter this yeah I did see this yeah it's so-called quote sunshine pop Mm-hmm. But I know that a lot of bands, you know, they don't determine what sort of labels that will be attributed to them. So I, I did my best to give them a shot because mm-hmm. here where I live, it is winter time. It's cold. It's mm-hmm. dreary. Sunshine pop sounded kind of exactly what I needed, to be honest. <laughs> okay. So I tuned in. They're sort of a British band from the late 60s. I listened to their three chart-topping singles, and by mm-hmm. chart-topping, I mean reach the top 100, well, which listen. are My World Fell Down from 1967, oh. In My Room from 1969, and I guess the Lord must be in New York City oh. in 1969. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't a really big fan. So yeah, if you're a big Sagittarius the Band fan, mm. let me know if I should get into their like deep <laughs> black hole catalog or what, because... Mm. Again, I only listened to the three songs, and out of the three, I say I like none of them. But I do, I do appreciate that you gave a complete listen to yeah. the Aqua Aquarius <laughs> album. <laughs> but here for Sagittarius, you're like I'm just gonna listen to the three top hit singles. But um, you know, uh, respect uh, wasn't for well, you. That's okay. <laughs> Kid, the thing is, Aqua is a known entity. It's <laughs> fair. Okay, good. Yes. Good. Uh, I know quality is lurking crap somewhere. And if that is the case with Sagittarius the band, if they have, you know, secret Barbie girl quality <laughs> hits in their ouvre, I would uh-huh. be happy to listen. Right. So if our listeners, if you're a big fan of Sunshine Pop and the late 60s music and know a uh, off-the-beaten-path jam I should be uh, listening to, let me know. <laughs> All right, Kit. So now we've discussed my favorite, your least favorite, The Secretary Bird, <laughs> uh-huh. as well as a great album that people should tune into called... The Olympians. Now let's talk about what Sagittarius we wish exists. All right, so I have two. Wow. One of which is mine and one of which is Bop's, which is decidedly better. So. (laughs) Fair. I was really struggling. Um, Sagittarius, very hard for me to spell. Um, It's it's long. Saggy. And and I'm like, this makes it a hard thing to want to like brand on something, you know, like it's sure. hard to spell, it's long. So I thought, you know, my my proposal is to just lean into it being long. And uh, I want to create Super Calis Sagittarius Expedialidocious. <laughs> which, <laughs> to, which, let that, to let that breathe for a second. Maybe say it one more time. 
<laughs> Super callous Sagittarius expialis. <laughs> yes. All right. Tell me more. Sounds so great. it's it's the next wordle. Um, okay. It's a super challenging astronomy-based spelling game. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so you hear a word out loud, then you have to spell it. You get a couple of tries. Um, do I think it would be fun? I don't know. But uh, <laughs> that is... Is it fun to say? Definitely. <laughs> definitely fun to say. So that's what I decided. I told Bop this. He was like... <laughs> He was like, "It's funnier uh-huh. the more I think about it. I can't <laughs> stop thinking about it. As soon as you put it into my brain." Well, it, I, you know, the name came to me and I liked it, and um, so I was like, "Well, you know, Bob, what am I supposed to say? Like, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to brand." And then he just, you know, walks over, makes some tea, turns around, and then he goes, "Sagittarius Stables and School of Archery, now with Goat Barn." Wow. That's also very good. Very, very good. Yes. So, shout out to, that gives a shout out to the centaur mythology as well as the Saturn mythology. Exactly. So anyways, um, that's what I came up with. How about you? What did you come up with? Anything um, as amazing as Super Callus Sagittarius Expedaldocious? <laughs> In its own way, yes. <laughs> Great. But more realistically, not at all. Great. So yeah, mine was a callback to what we were just talking about. I want Sagittarius Guardbird. So no, it's not the most creative of all possible uses of the name. But I think I'd feel pretty comfortable if I had a five-foot stalking terror raptor patrolling my front yard. I know you wouldn't. Uh, no, I wouldn't come to your house. No, no. Nope, yeah, nope. I feel like it might be more cost-effective than some other, you know, larger mammals <laughs> that would do the same job. So yeah, I mean, what maybe... I wish existed is pet raptors. What? Long story short, I'd like a raptor <laughs> as a pet, and um, I'm tired of pretending I don't. I mean, listen, the secretary bird is endangered so maybe this is what brings them back to full force will i get one that has blue plumage and name it blue who knows well you know jordan it's It's only only a matter of time time before one of our witches comes true Thank you for joining us today as we learned all about the constellation Sagittarius. My gosh, Jordan, can you believe we finished all the Zodiac constellations, season one in the books, right? (laughs) Well, Kit, technically, technically, we haven't. Lest you forget about Ophiuchus, (laughs) the serpent bearer. I mean, it's it's on the celestial equator, I, I guess. So. Kit, are we an astrology podcast or are we an astronomy and mythology podcast? <sighs> yeah, we're an astronomy and mythology podcast. You're right. So You're right. we'll be back next month with a bonus episode on Ophiuchus, the serpent bearer. All right. Well, um, then we'll do our fun wrap up later. Uh, this has been Kit. And Jordan. 
sisters, lovers of stars and stories. And we'll see you next time. On Starry Time. <laughs>